You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Lisa Nichols, the New York Times bestselling author of No Matter What and the recurring life coach on The Steve Harvey Show. Steve Harvey, in the introduction to Lisa's book, Abundance Now, describes Lisa as candid, transparent, and will get in your face a bit, so we've got that to look forward to. She's also the life coach of the Today Show and is one of two African-American female founders to take her own company, Motivating the Masses, Inc., public, which says a lot about Lisa, (gasps) and I think it says just as much about our culture as Lisa's accomplishments, but she's also co-authored Jack Canfield's Chicken Soup for the African-American Soul and Chicken Soup for the African-American Woman's Soul. She lives in San Diego and joins us today to talk about her new book, Abundance Now, publishing January 5th by Day Street Books and available as a print book, an e-book, and an audio book read by Lisa herself. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to be here with you. My first question is this, and I, I, I kept thinking about it as I was reading the book. You have been so productive for so many years. I am curious what you would identify as your most fulfilling accomplishment. <laughs> um, my most fulfilling accomplishment, I have to tell you, is not business. It's raising a beautiful son yeah. um, who, despite the fact that his father has been in prison his entire life, my son has never heard me say one negative word about his dad. Yeah. So in his image, he's a good man who made a poor decision. Uh, to uh, watch him become, as an adult, a really great human being, a really kind person, a person who leans on prayer, yeah. a person who um, who exemplifies what it means to be family. So when I look at my accomplishment, I go, whew, I did it. Um, it's not about the chicken soup books or the no matter what books. It's about uh, helping redesign what my son's future would have looked like had yeah. I not got determined in a, at a new level. Because when he was born... I was on government assistance. Mm-hmm. When he was eight months, his father went to prison, and I couldn't afford to buy Pampers. So for me, it's looking at his life now, and he's a graduate of Lake Cordon Bleu Culinary Institute, and he's in paramedic school, and he's traveled the world from age 10 to 20. That's my, that's my biggest accomplishment that I'm most grateful for, and the ability to create the life that I only dreamt about while keeping my family, mother, father, grandmother, cousins, close to me and a relationship with them. Because we often look at life as one or the other. Yeah, exactly. Either or. And when you understand the true definition of abundance, it never has to do with either or. Right. It's always and. Mm -hmm. It's our mindset that thinks I can have this or that. And I just believe, I call him God, call him whatever you choose. I'm not here to impose my belief system on you. But I believe every time we say either or, God goes, or and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then our limiting beliefs make us think we have to choose. So it, it was building a, a life that's unrecognizable. Yeah. Like my life is unrecognizable from 20 years ago. And when I arrive home from my trip, this trip on Saturday, waiting for me will be my brother, 
my my father, my son, and my niece just to come over and have dinner. That I I didn't com I didn't compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're still there. Well, yeah. that actually might answer my next question, which is why this book now? Is it to, to mm -hmm. really say it's it is and instead of or? Is is that the basic premise and what 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 you feel like you had to to speak? You know. Why this book now um, is is such an easy question. It, it's an easy question because for the last 10 years, um, I have been building and defining abundance for myself. And I've gotten some ahas, like I had some hard wake-up calls around abundance because our definition of abundance and prosperity uh, and wealth is that it's all attached to money. Mm -hmm. And we believe that as a society. And while that's a factor, abundance is so much bigger. I have friends that are billionaires, not millionaires, but billionaires with a B, and yet they don't have an abundant life. Yeah. They, don't have a, they, they have a financially wealthy life, but they don't have an abundant life. And I just saw too many examples of that. Right. I, I saw too many examples of my colleagues, my associates, who are working to get an abundant life while having more money than some of us will ever spend in a lifetime. So I said, wait a minute, we need to redefine abundance. Yep. And we need to redefine it ASAP. Because I don't want anyone else, I love my friends, but I don't want anyone else to have that experience at 68, at 75. I want us to understand abundance isn't for some people, it's for everyone. And abundance isn't something you go get, it's something you expand. Yeah, okay. And, 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 and the sooner we learn that, and understand that we will become intentional about building an abundant life, 360 life, abundant relationships, abundant health and wellness, abundant spirituality, and abundant finances. Mm -hmm. But it's not just the category called finances. Okay. And I, I couldn't even tell the story. I couldn't write this book 10 years ago. I couldn't write this book seven years ago. One, I hadn't lost enough in all those other areas other than money to understand the value of all those other areas. I hadn't fought for it enough. And I hadn't experienced enough financial wealth to understand that wasn't everything. Yep. So I, I experienced enough abundance and abundance creation and lack of abundance to write the book called Abundance Now and understand it. And my goal is that we shift the understanding of abundance in our society. I'm making a bold statement, a mm, bold declaration down, yeah. that our children, by the time they're full-on adults, my son's son, they know a different definition of abundance. So I'm going to read to you a few of these aha moments, and then I'm going to ask you to expand on them. Love your vision, but don't expect mm. others to applaud it. Mm. <laughs> oh, so when you're a visionary, you got a vision in your belly. And sometimes it's not even clear. You feel impregnated. Have you ever felt like you're like, I got an idea, and it's still taking shape. And sometimes we, we tell other people about our vision, and we want them to be just as excited about our vision as we are. We're still defining it ourselves. We're still seeing if we can do it ourselves. And we want other people to be an advocate for it the same way we are. I learned, and I don't even know if it's the hard way. I would just say it was painful, but I learned that... No one is going to get my vision the way I got it mm -hmm. until I bring it out and make it and, and make it visible to them. And I say in my workshops, if no one gets your vision, and before I say this, I tell people, some of you came just to hear this one line. The whole three days is going to be bonus. This one line is why you came. If no one else gets your vision, it's because God didn't give your vision to them. God gave your vision to you. 
And it's your job to feed it, to nurture it, so that you can birth it so now the world could see it. See, I knew I was going to be here 20 years ago. I couldn't explain it to anyone in detail, but I felt it. And I couldn't expect anyone else to buy into it mm -hmm. because it was just in me. It was just a knowing. Right. It was that I know like I know like I know. And sometimes you have to be the only person to know. And you feed people bite-sized, palatable, digestible pieces of your vision right. because that's all that they can take in right, right now. Not to minimize who they are. It's just that it's your yeah, vision. Right. God gave it to you, didn't give it to us. And so often we frustrate ourselves because we want our family, our husband, our spouses, our children, our siblings to cheerlead our vision. And when they don't, we say, you don't support me. No, it's just not my vision. Or they, or you think, oh, it's not a good enough idea. Or, and then you, yeah. you, you put it yeah. on the shelf. Your buying into my vision has nothing to do with me making my vision my reality. Right. Another aha. Be willing to fail but not expecting to fail. Most people are trying to avoid failure. And when you work to avoid failure, you never really take a leap. You get to the edge of the cliff and you feel the wind on your face because most people are in the middle of the cliff. They're not even at the edge. So even if you're on the edge, you, feel like you look like you're the bomb.com. Right, but you, I mean, that, I, really, you're like, oh my gosh, she's on the edge. And because we want to be safe, our brain is set up to protect us. It's not set up to take risk. So our brain will find anything that looks like it might harm us and tell us to back away from it. Your gut, your intuition, your drive has to say, wait a minute, I'm willing to take this risk. Most people are not willing to fail. So because you're not willing to fail, you won't leap off the cliff because before you can fly, you, you will have to fall a bit. And so... When you're willing to fail, you're actually willing to fly. Someone said to my son once, you should have a goal that when you tell it to somebody, they laugh. It just sounds out, outlandish. And he really took that to heart. Yeah. And it was one of the Good better job. things that he yes. was able to hear as a yes. young person. And it's, yes. If your goal doesn't, doesn't scare you, it yeah. ain't big enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Another one that I really like is balance is myth. Harmony, Harmony is, is a must. must. Balance is a myth. Now, this one took me a long time to get. I mean, a long time. I just really got this in the last six years. Balance is saying, I'm going to do 50% work and 50% play. I'm going to, you just don't have that kind of life. In the book, Abundance Now, I divide all the categories of your life out that if you did have balance, this is what it looked like. So you can physically, mathematically see that's impossible. I cannot spend 12.9% on my work and get what I need to get done. Right. Especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're a creator. If you're a creator right. and you're going out and creating things, even as an employee, you, you're just going to spend, you're going to spend 75% over here in work possibly. Harmony is making sure that 25% feeds your soul. Example, my son and I, I travel 62% of the time per my son's equation. <laughs> yeah. I travel 62% of the time. I actually travel more than that. That was about five years ago, his, his uh, calculation. But when I go home, my son and I will spend about 90 minutes, God, I hope it's only 90 minutes, playing Monopoly. I hate yeah. Monopoly. Don't tell my son. I hate Monopoly. But we've played Monopoly since he was seven years old. He's a Monopoly king. We have, like, the deluxe Monopoly with the credit card. Do you know Monopoly <laughs> no, has I a credit card? So we have bonding time over the Monopoly board. So it's the harmony. It's the good time. My son came with me to Australia, and for eight days I worked. 
But in the three days we had off, we rode in a helicopter. We surfed. We surfed. You surfed? We, I surfed. I stood up on the you surfboard did, like, for a very brief second, <laughs> but I stood up on the surfboard on the Gold Coast of Australia. That counts. We surfed. We got chased by a kangaroo, and we jumped out of a plane. Okay. In the three days I had off. This is this goes to the other one, play big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the biggest part is we shot a movie. We went to a um, uh, a stunt academy. We practiced stunts for five hours, and then we shot a movie at the, in the sixth hour of Charlie's Angels. My son was a bad guy, and I was one of the Charlie's Angels. Man, we made memories in three days after yeah. working really hard for eight right, days. Right, right, right. So it's about harmony the quality of the time you have, not the length of the time you have. So don't sit in the hour you have with your kids or your spouse and you're texting. You're not present. My son knows when we're in the car, both our phones are down and we're talking about everything and nothing. Right. Now this, you were saying, oh, this took, you know, I only learned this recently. I learned this just about six years ago. Goes to another one, which life is not short, and there's no such thing as instant success. I love this one. So so expand on that a little bit. Life is not short, and you're not going to be a success overnight. I was just meeting with an investor, and he says, why is it taking you 20 years? I said, why not? Yeah. I'm building he, he it on. He said that? Really? Yeah, he did. He goes, why is it taking you 20 years to get to this level of success? Wow. That's okay. I'm okay. I love questions like that because then I can pose back to him, why not? I'm building my life on cement, not sinking sand. The best, my grandmother says, the best things in life will never be created in a microwave. <laughs> they always have to go through the oven. He says, baby, my grandmother says, baby, the sweet potato pie that you love that grandma makes, the peach cobbler that you love that grandma makes, I can never do that in a microwave. So, your life is, you, gotta, you have a long life. Build it right. Build it solid. Build it on cement. Don't expect, psychology 101 talks about um, uh, relative deprivation, meaning you look at someone else's success and you want their success that took them 22 years to build, but you want it in two. Some things, it might not take you 22, but be okay with seven. I tell my entrepreneurs when they come in and they join the Motivating the Masses University, we have a virtual university, I say, are you willing to give it five to 10 years? If you're not, let's not start. Let's not waste your money and my time. Because you got to be willing. Success is not overnight. And God willing, you got a long time here. Let's build it right. Let's build it solid. Let's create the wealth that will take care of your grandchildren's children. When I say wealth, I mean relationship wealth. My grandmother's been deceased for 26 years now. I have two grandmothers, one that's still alive at 86. The other one's been deceased for about 26 years. And just the other day in a family gathering, we were talking about her tradition. She's still alive. Yeah. Her, her, we literally stick together and have a family dinner every month, about 36 of us. Wow. 36 every month because of my grandmother's legacy. Yeah. That's what I, I want. I want a substantive life like that. That takes some time to create. So let's talk a little bit about your life as a writer. And That's funny when you say that, I got to say. Why? I got to fail in English. Right. I got to fail in English. So every time someone calls me a writer, and yes, I have many books under my belt, but I still go, this is so funny. It's, it's so, <laughs> I still, still the 18-year-old in me comes yep. out. There's an 18-year-old in me who was sitting in class in McMinnville, Oregon, and my English teacher stood in front of the class and looked at me and said, Lisa, you're the weakest writer I've ever met in my entire life. Maybe not the best words to say, but they don't go anywhere. Yeah. Like those words don't go anywhere. Yeah. They're not managing me anymore. Right. 
For 18 years, they managed me. Mm-hmm. I knew I was a great storyteller, but I was afraid to write mm-hmm. because my grammar was weak. Yeah. I'm a run-on sentence mama. I don't put a period <laughs> until I finish my thought. And who knows what the colon and semicolon was even created for. <laughs> so when you say that, respectfully, I am a writer. But when you say it, I still have the... You're, a, you're a not just a writer, you're a New York Times bestselling writer, but okay. So tell us a little bit about it. How, what is your process and how, you know, how mm. do you manage that, that effort? Yes. Uh, one question that I'm always particularly interested in is who are your first readers? So my first readings um, I, I give to a combination of people because it's really difficult when you give it to your tribe, you know, because they want to make you happy. So yeah. watch out. I, I want to give it to people who are who are comfortable saying this yeah. is trash. Yeah, <laughs> this is crap. But I don't just give it to them because I am a I am an artist, <laughs> and artists take it personal. I'm a creator, right? So my heart's in it. So I give it to a combination. I give it to um, my team because my team knows what I want to deliver to my student. So they make sure that I've that, I've, that, I've delivered the yeah. essence. On the other side. I actually give it to people who have absolutely zero interest in... Yeah, your toughest your toughest. Oh, crowd. my God. Yeah. So I have investment bankers as advisors. I have, you know, and they don't meet my demographic. Yeah. So my, my primary demographic are women. Um, and then inside of that, women who are between the age of 35 and 55, uh, women who are about something, they're super sheroes in yeah. their world. That's our, my demographic. So I'll give it to a man who's an advisor, yeah. who's, and I'll just say, what do you think about it? You don't have to like it. You don't have to be yeah, the audience. Yeah. But what do you think about the quality of the work? And they're more critical. They'll give me some great feedback. When they say, no, that's good, I know I hit I hit it. I hit the nail on the head. I gave it to one, my book to one gentleman. He does financial advising for professional athletes. And he's about as straight-laced, yeah. left brain as they come. And he said, you should put a caveat on the front of the book. Do not read this book in public, especially in first class, as a man. Because everybody will talk to you. Well, he was crying. Oh. It made him cry. And he said, I was so choked up that I was fighting back tears oh. several times throughout the book. And the only thing I think you should do is just put a yeah. disclaimer. You That's what he said, a you disclaimer. You got to put a disclaimer. That. Don't read this on your way into a sales meeting. <laughs> <laughs> you're all cracked open and you're all in. So that was my, my, my last book. So Abundance Now. It, 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 it's, it has, same thing. Yeah, yeah. It has the same effect, trust yeah. me. Amen. Yeah, you were right there with us, and it, Amen. it's pretty Thank powerful. You. Thank you. I, I, um, the process that I use now, uh, which I learned from uh, Janet Schweitzer, who was my co-author on the book, who's brilliant, 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 brilliant. And I, I used a different system before, but now I, I've adopted this system because I really like it. It was very easy. I take, um, I take a lot of eight-and-a-half by 11 sheets of paper, and the things that are just important for me, like, oh, I really want to talk about uh, balance is a myth, harmony is a must. I just put that at the top of the book. And I want to talk about everyone will not support your vision. I just put it as, as titles, yeah. each on a different sheet of paper. And I lay all the papers out. I did this in St. Thomas this year, um, actually late last year, and I lay them out on sheets of paper, everything that's a big topic for me. And I look at all the big topics, and I stand there. And do you remember the game match? You know, you turn oh, over yeah, 52 cards, and you match the queens. And so I, I, I look at all the headings, all on a separate sheet of paper. And the headings that feel like they should go together, I begin to stack them together, one on top of another. So initially, I had 18 sheets of paper for this book, Abundance Now. 
18 sheets of paper with 18 different topics. And then I began to collapse it down, and I got it down to 10. Mm -hmm. And then I go and I take each sheet of paper, and I just put three little bullet points about that topic. When I finish, I literally have the framework for my book. Now, my last question is... You as a reader, what types of things do you read? Oh. Oh. Um, different seasons, yeah. different things. Very early on for probably 15 years in the late 90s and early um, 2000s, all I read was spiritual books. I need to get anchored in my calling, anchored in my purpose, wake up my purpose, get me out of just worrying about being a mom and, 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 and surviving with my son. So my spiritual awareness was awakened by reading books by Dr. Maya Angelou. And and now I dropped in the book Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's been kind of like my blueprint in the background because it just gave me so much. But I would read affirmation books. I couldn't read scriptural books because I didn't understand that as much as I would read affirmation-based books and daily spiritual practice books. And Mm -hmm. so a daily spiritual meditation book, Mm -hmm. real easy, two paragraphs. I'm like an easy reader. I don't want to be complex. Then I went into reading books about um, practicality, Stephen Covey's and 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 Howard Schultz of the CEO of Starbucks, and 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 reading books from Phil Jackson, yeah. you know how. And so then I went into how to organize and how to deliver great content. Now I'm in leadership books. Yeah. As I've it. evolved, my yeah. books have changed that I read, and I don't ever go into the bookstore and buy a book blindly. I go to people that I admire. And you say, what are you? And I ask them, what are you reading? Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for Abundance Now. It's, it's wonderful. And thank you for your time today. It's been very remarkable speaking to you. My pleasure. Can I just end with the reason why I wrote it? Yes, please. Because I'm looking for all the me's out there. I wrote the book for them. I wrote the book to shave years, to shave stress yeah. off their journey. Yeah. So that's my reason. I, I want I want to have something physically here, tangibly here, that helps someone else's journey that I get to leave. I believe that abundance is our birthright. Because you were born, you have the birthright to be abundance. I invite you to pick up the book, not for me. It'll be a bestseller. That's already done. Pick up the book for you. My life was transformed because I opened up the right book. So give your tribe the gift of inspiration. If it's not abundance now, give them something else that's going to inspire their soul. I particularly am an advocate for this book because it gives you the the behind-the-scenes journey. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm your sister in prosperity and in possibility. And most of all, I want you to hear me say that I believe in you. Thank you for listening. I'm Ana Maria Alessi. And this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.